almost 500 years ago, we celebrate the Reformation uh, when Martin Luther uh, knocked those, uh, those famous words on the doors of Wittenberg. Well, a few years after those 95 theses went up on the, the door, on uh, April 18th, 1521, uh, Martin Luther was brought before the Diet of Worms to be challenged for what he wrote, uh, for him writing about the gospel of grace. Uh, during one of the trials, they said, are you ready to retract any of your writings, any of your ideas found in your writings? And Luther replied with these words, here it is. Plain and unvarnished, unless I am convicted of error by the testimony of Scripture, or, since I put no trust in the unsupported authority of popes or councils, since it is plain that you have often erred and have contradicted themselves, by manifest reasoning, I stand convicted by the Scriptures to which I have appealed, and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Luther's biography, a biographer, Roland Baton, noted that in that moment, past and future were, were met. Uh, Luther defended his, 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 his written attacks against the papacy and challenged their authority even to, to judge him. They did not have the the right to determine whether he was right or wrong. Luther stood steadfast in his trust and the the interpretation of the Holy Scripture. He was bound by the Word of God. God's Word constrained him. Luther's stand that salvation was revealed by Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone was the catalyst that brought the gospel back to the, to the hearts of the people of Europe. It's, it sparked the, the Reformation, which we continue to live in. Now, in that moment, it took courage for Luther to stand for truth. We weren't in his shoes, but he didn't know if he was going to lose his life by saying those words. Luther's courage has inspired thousands upon thousands of people for over five Hundred years, The courage it takes to stand for truth inspires hearts. The stand of Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., William Tyndale, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Joan of Arc, Abraham Lincoln, William William Force have, have inspired the courage of their contemporaries and the following generations. Each in their day not knowing what the future held. And yet, they stood for truth. I pray that when we have our moment, when our moment comes, we will stand for truth. When your coworker asks you about your faith, I pray that you would stand for truth. When your family questions why you want to give your life for the gospel overseas, I pray that you would stand for truth. When you see a wayward brother or sister drifting from the Lord, I pray that you would stand for for truth. And when the evil one tempts you to walk away from Christ, I pray that you would stand for truth. Your moment of when you have to stand may not inspire millions, but it will be seen by your Father in heaven.
Your Father sees what is done in secrets, and He will reward you. Beloved, we all face moments of truth every single day. And we must decide beforehand, will we stand in truth? The Apostle John, the, the elder, writes to the ancient church and his dear friend Gaius and the beloved church to encourage them to stand in truth. So I pray that through this little letter, when our moment comes, we will be ready to stand. The first way we stand in truth is standing in prayer. Standing in the truth in prayer. John loves the truth. The Apostle John is responsible for five books in the New Testament. His Gospel, his three letters, and the the revelation of, of John. Truth is one of the central themes in all his writings. Even here he begins this brief letter. We see his love for truth in in the opening words. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Now, Gaius was a common name in in the first century. We don't exactly know which Gaius this is. Uh, This name appears in three other places in the New Testament. Uh, There is the Gaius of Corinth in Romans 16.23, the Gaius of Macedonia in Acts 19.29, and the Gaius of Derby, Acts 24. It's probably unlikely that John is addressing any one of, of these men. But he addresses a man that he dearly loves four times in these 15 verses. You see John saying, my beloved or dear friend. You see this this warm emotion that John has for Gaius. One of the first keys of, of standing in truth is the importance of prayer. We don't have the ability to stand without the power of God. This is why John writes, beloved, dear friend. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Body and soul together. The thrust of John's prayer is not only in a healthy body, but a healthy soul. Beloved, how quick are are we to pray for our ailing bodies while we neglect our ailing souls? We are quick to offer a prayer for the sick in body, but slow to offer a prayer for the sick in soul. Friends, we must call upon heaven and pray for those who cannot faithfully sing as we just did. It is well with my soul. And yet, what does John do? He prays for his friend's body. Beloved, we should always focus primarily on on one's soul, but, but we must not neglect the body. God made us embodied souls. It is unwise and unloving not to care for the needs of our physical bodies, as it is unwise not to tend for the care of our souls. Which, which one of us, any of us here, if one of our, our children fell into a ditch and, and was hurting, that we would not go to our, our child and, and pick him out of the ditch and care for his physical body. We pray to God for his kindness to bring good health. John cared both for body and soul of his friend Gaius. I pray that we would do the same. I think over my time here at, as a member, uh, as a pastor and member of Park Baptist Church, I have seen the importance of praying for and caring for the body. There's a lot of people in this room right now, some that you may not know, are in immense pain. They're in, they're in deep pain just sitting here listening to this message. Beloved, we need to care for both the soul as we hear the word of God, and care for the body. Gaius' ability to stand in the truth was sustained through the prayer of the saints. So Gaius was one who was walking in the truth because men like John were praying for him. 
Paul says this when he was in jail in, in Philippi, about the confidence that he has that life will work out for his deliverance. Look at Philippians 1, 19-21. Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but will have full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That was fueled. Why? By the prayers of the saints. Beloved, God commands us, commands us to pray for one another. I'm not sure if you have felt the same as I have, but how sweet are our prayer times on Wednesday night? When we just stop for 20 minutes and just pray unto the Lord. What a sweet time. We come together and stand for the truth in that moment. I pray that we would continue to do so. So that like John for Gaius, the Philippians for Paul, that, that we would pray for each other, that we would be full of courage, so that Christ would be honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death, for all of us, for, for to us to live is Christ, to die is gain. The second thing I, I see here in the text is we want to stand in the truth in praise. In praise. You know, John writes his letter as an old man. As he begins his letter, we see as an old man, one who's lived his life well, what is his main priority in life, his greatest joy and passion. He rejoices not in the health of his own soul, but in the, the health of the soul of his dear friend Gaius. Look what God's word says in verse 4. For I rejoice, verse 3, where I rejoice greatly with the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth. Now hear this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius was walking with God and standing in the truth. So hear his words. I have no greater joy to see my children walking in the truth. I'm so grateful for what Janice and Simeon are doing with our young people on, on Wednesday night. Uh, beloved, so much happens in the life of our congregation that you may not see and, and hear, but I'm so grateful that uh, recently Janice has been challenging our young ladies to memorize Scripture. And, um, you know, this is a joy of, of a father. My, my Elizabeth came to me just the other day and said, Daddy, can you quiz me on Romans 8, 38 and 39, which is the, this is the favorite verse of some of you who've been, if you've been reading the weekly emails about our member profiles, you should know whose favorite verses they are. Make sure you read your email. Well, my, my daughter came to me and she just recited God's word. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you know that I love memorizing scripture. But all the scripture memory that I've done pales in comparison to that. When my little one, one of my, my, my child, comes to me knowing the Word of God is written upon her heart. My child is walking in the truth. Gaius is most likely not John's biological son, but his child in the faith. John may have led Gaius to the Lord and discipled him in the faith. And there's wonderful joy when you see people growing in their, in their faith. I've experienced so much joy over the last five years and seeing the growth of God's people. 
Man, the people of God at Park Baptist Church have grown so much in the last five years. I can recount names and, and stories of how I've seen that growth. And can I just tell you that I have no greater joy to see the people of God at Park Baptist Church walking in the truth. I pray that you would be encouraged to pour your life into others. I would love for you to experience a glimpse what John is talking about here. A glimpse of what I have seen as a, as a pastor. Beloved, it is marvelous. It is a glorious thing when you see God using your life and the life of others. So you see, John could stand for truth and Gaius could stand for truth because John poured his life into Gaius. Gaius was not standing in the truth because he wasn't just in isolation. No, he was discipled and formed by the people of God. John wanted Christ to be magnified in people's lives. His outpouring for the glory of Christ fueled his own growth and the the growth of Gaius. Our ability to stand transcends our own individual walk with God. God places us in a body. So we have joints and ligaments that can build us up together into the maturity of Christ. So let me, simple question. Is your greatest joy to hear that others, both in your family and in your church, are walking in the truth? The third thing we see here, standing in the truth in support. In support. After greeting, this is just a beginning greeting, John continues to rejoice in how God is using Gaius and the church to support traveling missionaries who have gone out for the name of Christ. Listen to what God's word says in verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do all in your efforts that with these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church, you will do well to send them on a journey, and how? In a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may follow, we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's two main ways I I see Gaius supporting the missionaries here in love. We know that it's all love, but it's two main ways. Uh, The first, Gaius welcomes strangers into his house. You know, in in those days, traveling missionaries would would come into an area and they, they stayed in people's homes. Uh, it wasn't wise or safe to go to, to inns. That's where kind of the, the rough crowd uh, hung out. So when Christians traveled, they depend upon the hospitality of the saints. People opened their homes. A couple of years ago, I remember making an announcement. We had some college students who needed a place to stay over the summer, and I said, all right, church, if any of you would like to, to open up a room for a college student over the summer, please let me know. And while I said that, my, my, my son uh, leaned over to my wife and whispered, Mama, I'll give up my room. <laughs> you know, this youthful zeal of one who wants to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, over the last two years, I can tell you that John David has given up his room numerous times for people who needed a place to stay. And I was, we were talking on the way here because we have people in our house a good bit. Uh, both Elizabeth and John David, their joy and their desire to share their room with others makes it easier for us to do so. So kids, if you have an opportunity to help your parents invite people into your home when you say, I'm willing to give up my bed and do it with joy, not as a, as a burden. You know, besides 
for Gaius opening up his, his home, Gaius sent missionaries out with financial and material resources to continue their mission. John commends that is what is right, that it is right and good to send missionaries out in a manner worthy of God. Think about those words. Every time we, we send people out of this church on the mission field, we are if, as if we are sending Jesus Christ himself in a manner worthy of God. How we treat those who love God is a reflection of how we love God ourselves. The reason we should send them out is because they are bringing the most important message in the world. They have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, friend, if you're here and you are not a follower of Christ, let me explain what this means, that they've gone out for the sake of the name. The Bible says in Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when we read that verse, we have to ask, why do we need salvation? Well, the Bible teaches, and I would say your own heart bears witness, that we are sinners. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our sin brings condemnation from God. Our sin, our sin breaks or blocks us from the, the perfection of, of heaven. We cannot earn our own salvation. We will never be justified or be made right with God by what we do. This is why 500 years ago when Martin Luther says, I cannot recant, why that was so important. Because what he was standing for was the gospel of Christ. That we are saved in, in, through, by Scripture alone, through, through faith alone, in, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The Roman Catholics, even today, believe that we can earn salvation through works and receiving the sacraments. Luther, and I hope most of you, see in the Bible that, that that's not true. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law... No human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When we realize that God's standard is perfection, it is very clear that we fall short. The first way we take a step towards God is realizing that we need to take that step. We need salvation by God, from God. So the reason these missionaries went out in John's day was because they, and we believe, there is salvation in no other name. Salvation belongs in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth as a man. He lived a, a perfect life. He committed no sin. He was innocent. He perfectly lived for God's glory. We fall short, and yet he did not fall short. He perfectly lived for the glory of God, and yet he was punished as a sinner in his death. And yet God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection is, is so important because in the resurrection of Jesus, God the Father is publicly declaring that salvation is available through and only through Christ. If anyone would turn from their sins and call upon Christ as Lord, they will be saved. Now think about this. This message was so great that the people in John's day and for the last 2,000 years 
have been leaving their families, have been leaving their homeland to go out for the sake of the name. Even we, we see it right here in, in, in the text. What does it say? For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Friend, if Jesus Christ isn't God, why would thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands leave their families and friends with nothing but the message? That there is salvation in no one else, that there is no name, other name under heaven which man can be saved, but Christ. Consider history. The history of Christian mission. But more importantly, I pray that you would consider the name and the person of Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He did not come for the, for the healthy, but for the sick. He did not come to be served, but to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His life in exchange for yours. Now, beloved, if, if God has given us the only way of salvation, we ought to support people who are going out with that name. I prayed for our, our summer missionaries this summer. We have five people going all over the world to Bulgaria, to North Africa, to, to Honduras, to Mexico, with the gospel of Christ. When our brothers and sisters go to the nations through our prayers and through our resources, we are what? Fellow workers in the truth. So when all our missionaries go, and even today, when we all go to our, our, our places of business tomorrow, you, we are all partaking in, in God's grace and God's truth together. Because we are one body, working together for the glory of Christ. We stand in the truth and we support the work of the gospel here as well as across the world. The next way we stand in the truth is in submission. In submission. Not every person believed in supporting and welcoming those who have gone out for the name of Jesus. There were some that did not want to submit to the apostles' teaching. Look at verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. This man was not acknowledging the authority of the apostles. He was refusing to welcome the, the brothers, believers, into the fellowship of the church. Not only that, when people wanted to welcome people, they said, you can't do that, and if you do, you've got to be put out of the church. It was, he was stifling the gospel ministry of the church. There are many reasons one could be doing this. But notice John gives the reason. Diotrephes likes to put himself first. When we put ourselves first, the body of Christ suffers. And every single Sunday, you are challenged by putting yourself first in how you enter into to worship. The Bible says love does not insist upon its own way, but it lays down its preferences for others. The one who puts himself first is not putting Christ first. One of the most disturbing trends in evangelicalism, one of the things that is causing a lot of problems in churches all over the West, is a disregard for authority. Now, of course, as a caveat, there have been many abuses of pastoral authority throughout the years. And people have a right to speak against sin 
in their leaders. That being said, a faithful church member should not be like Diotrephes, who rejected the apostles' teaching, but one who humbly submits and follows their leader. The rejection of authority, the challenge of authority, the the bucking against authority has become a cultural norm. Now, we are in the church. What happens is, is that if the church is, if the world's right here, and we're called to live over here, what happens most times is that we, we, we take just one step in. So we view authority a little bit better than the world, rather than the way Christ would have us see it. Now, I know it, it seems as, as if it's, um, it's self-aggrandizing that, that me as, a, as an elder is telling you to submit to, to elders and submit to authority. But authority has been instituted and given by God. Children submit to, the, to, the, to their parents' authority. Citizens submit to the state authority. And members of the church submit to the, their elders' authority. To, we want to encourage submission because God's word is clear. Look at what God's word says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. How are you responding to the leaders of the church? I mean, I would say generally in this congregation, I think I get a lot of positive response. Me and the deacons would, would, would affirm that. But we have to be very careful because the, the seed of the world often works its way into the church. And we have to be very careful to stand against it. Do you pray for your leaders? Is your heart open for them? See, Diotrephes hurt the church because he put himself first and did not submit to authority. I pray that you will not follow his example, but stand in the truth. But... The next point, we want to stand in the truth by imitation. Stand in the truth in imitation. So after kind of condemning this man, John encourages the beloved friend to walk in good, to imitate good. I think that what John is really focusing on here is, is to look at that, those who are walking in the truth and follow them. God's word says in, in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not from God, has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So he's basically saying, don't follow Diotrephes, but follow us and Demetrius who have a good testimony of life. Humans learn from imitation. Those of you who have ever had children, you know that they watch and they learn uh, by example. It is natural that we become like who we follow. It's one of the reasons why the Bible puts so much stock in the character of leaders. Just look, go back and read 1 Timothy 3, read Titus 1, and see the characteristic traits of a leader, of righteousness and blamelessness and being above, above reproach. Why? Because the way the Bible speaks is that the leaders are examples for the flock. So, Lord willing, next week I'll begin a series teaching on, on elders. Why should we have more than one, a plurality of elders? And we'll talk through the character in that series of elder. 
the congregation in the Bible is called to follow and imitate their leaders. And this is a daunting task, and yet it's natural. Imitation is a common theme in God's Word. Let me just go through these quickly so you have them in your notes. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. I urge you then, Paul says, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 5, 1. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Philippians 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. And jump down to verse Hebrews 13.7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The biblical pattern for the church is you have godly, not perfect, but godly leaders who love Christ, follow Christ, and reflect how to live and follow Christ to the people of God in the church. So if you are a future elder or a current deacon, I pray that you would see the importance of living a godly life. If you are a father or a mother, I pray that you would see the importance of living a godly life. Beloved, people will imitate our behavior. So let our lives be full of Christ. Now, ultimately, beloved, the leader that we want to follow is the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ. He's our example. The goal of our lives is that we would be transformed into the image of Christ, that we would be mature, lacking nothing. We all know how to walk and live because Christ came and lived perfectly for us. Now, Christ lives in us by the power of His Spirit. I pray that we would hold fast to what is good and what is right and what is, what, is, what is strong and pure and reflect our great and glorious Savior. Let us stand as a reflection of Him to our world. Well, as I close, this last one, standing in the truth in intimacy, in intimacy. John closes this letter and just shows how intimate his relationship is with Gaius and the rest of the church. He writes, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. And I love this. Greet the friends, each by name. I love how he ends this letter. John loved Gaius. Gaius loved John. They were friends. They were dear friends. Friendship is a powerful thing. One of the things I pray for our, our congregation is that you would have your dearest friends in the life of this body. I know that sometimes it's a, it's a struggle building friendships. It's a struggle because people are, are sinners and they hurt you. But guys, do not give up on friendship. True friendship takes time. It takes sacrifice. But, beloved, true friendship is a gift from God. One of the best ways to build and sustain friendship is around the table. Table fellowship is a wonderful picture of intimacy and closeness. Jesus said these words, Greater love has no one than this, that someone has laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that you have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Beloved, Jesus laid down his life 
for his friends. He bled and died and rose again that we would have an intimate friendship with him. He died so that we would have an intimately, be intimately connected with him. Literally, that we would be one, united with Christ. And what does God do? He continues to invite us into that intimacy, into that close friendship through table fellowship. He invites us to his table. Beloved, every time we come to the Lord's table, we stand in the intimacy we have with Christ. We remember that Jesus laid down his life for us. He died that we may live. Every time you take the Lord's Supper, you're standing in the truth that God is real. That that there is no other name under heaven which man can be saved but Christ. All baptized believers who are members of a church of like faith and order are welcome to the table. If you have accepted the friendship of Jesus Christ and salvation in his name, I pray that you would stand again in this truth. But if you're here and you have not yet extended friendship to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not yet taken his hand and said, I want to be your friend, I believe that you are the Lord of glory, that you are the only way to salvation, I pray as the bread and the cup are passed that you would just allow them to pass by you. And as they're past, I pray that you would consider the friendship that God wants with you. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. Beloved, we all must stand for something. And I pray that you would stand for Christ, behind Christ, oh, and never against Christ. So as we prepare the table. I pray that you take the next few minutes in silence to prepare your own heart to enter into the intimate time of friendship with our Lord and Savior. Deacons, please.